0: Chapter uh, chapter twelve, not chapter eleven. So um, there's a there's a few things in Hebrews chapter eleven that we can pay attention to. Right, so I want to start reading. Now, I first want to draw your attention back to Hebrews chapter eleven. That uh, he spoke about all these heroes of faith, everyone that did something despite everything in the natural, pointing the opposite direction, but they trusted God, and they trusted what God said, and uh, they, they are mentioned in Scripture for their faith. So now in Hebrews chapter 12, it starts off with, he says, therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, okay, Right, before I go on, let's just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. We pray that the Holy Spirit will move upon this word, move upon me today. Let us hear and be blessed and be set free in Jesus' name. Okay. Right, so we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Like this. Is it spelled the right? Okay. Okay, so so it's like here here you are, but around you, I don't know, it's like it's like clouds, but it's unseen. And in this cloud there are witnesses. So every every person in Christ, every believing person. Every person that had faith in, in Christ, uh, at the end of their life, where did they go? To Christ, to where He is. Okay, are you in Christ? Okay, we are in Christ. Where is Christ? In, in heaven, at the right hand of the Father. So, we are also seated with Christ in heavenly places. So, being united with Christ, seated with Christ in heavenly places, and they are with Christ we are surrounded by their testimony. We are surrounded by these witnesses of people that went before us and their lives testify to the goodness and the faithfulness of God. But uh, it says later on, we we checked it out last week when he spoke about the cities. It says, we have come to the spirits of the saints made perfect. So uh, in in Christ, All those who died in Christ is also in Christ with Christ. So we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. And they call out a few... Whoever wrote Hebrews, I think it's Paul, but it could have been someone else, calls out a few names of people in Scripture. That's not an exclusive list of people in the cloud of witnesses. Okay? So it's everyone who died in faith. So now he says... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off, throw aside every encumbrance and unnecessary weight and that sin which so readily, deftly and cleverly clings to and entangles us, and let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us. right there, there's 15 scriptures connecting with it. Okay, so um, I just want to quickly go to uh, Matthew chapter 17. So, well, Matthew chapter 17, Mark 9 and Luke 9 describes it. its amount of transfiguration. But I think just for time's sake, I'm just going to go to Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Now about eight days after these teachings, Jesus took with him Peter, John and James. So it's those three that were closest to him. And went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying the appearance of his countenance became altered, different, and his raiment became dazzling, white flashing, with the brilliance of lightning. So, he stood there, and his clothes started shining with visible glory of God. Okay? Right, so, and behold, two men were conversing with him, Moses And Elijah. So here's Jesus on the mountain. And suddenly two men standing with him. Moses and Elijah. Now Elijah was took up, taken up, you know, in the whirlwind, and the chariot of fire came and divided. Uh, brought the division between Elisha and, and the whirlwind, and he was taken up, and Elisha cried out, My father, my father, the of Israel and the horsemen thereof, and he dropped his mantle, and Elisha took up the mantle. Remember? Okay, so, so he went, he was taken up into the unseen. Moses went up to the mountain, so he, he couldn't go into the promised land, so, but Moses, Moses died. So Moses and Elijah stood there. So it's the law and the prophets. Now there's many revelations that you can preach on this scripture about the law and the prophets and Jesus standing on the mountain. But let's just keep on reading, and there's something I just want to lift out here. Okay, so he says, And he was praying. As he was praying, the appearance of his countenance became altered. It didn't just alter. As he was praying. So what did Jesus do on the mountain? He was praying. So Jesus, every now and then, would isolate himself and enter into that place of the glory of God. Okay? So he was praying. Right. Behold, two men were conversing with him, Moses and Elijah, verse 31, who appeared in splendor and majesty and brightness and were speaking of his exit from life, which he was about to bring to realization at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were weighed down with sleep, but when they fully awoke, they saw his glory, splendor and majesty and brightness. And the two men who stood with him, And it occurred that as the men were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is delightful and good that we are here. Let us construct three booths or huts. So it's like he gets that idea from the Feast of of Tabernacles and he wanted to build huts. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Not noticing or knowing what he was saying. But even as he was saying this, a cloud came. And began to overshadow them, and they were seized with alarm and struck with fear as they entered into the cloud. There came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, or my beloved. Listen to and yield to and obey him. And when the voice had died away, Jesus was found there alone, and they kept still and told no one at that time any of the things that they had seen. Okay, so... There's a voice coming out of the cloud saying, This is my son. And Matthew chapter 17 says it, Year ye him. So now he says in Luke chapter 9, Submit or yield. Uh, I want to say surrender to him. Okay, listen to him. Jesus was praying. They saw the manifestation of the cloud. Jesus was talking with two men. And when they looked up, they wanted to bring the law in there. The cloud formed and said, no, no, this is my son. Hear ye him. All right? So, um, back to Hebrews chapter 12. So we can straight away see The way Jesus entered, he went, he isolated himself and he prayed. And his intention was to enter into the secret place. And he was so effective in that 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 the manifestation came, light shone out of him, the light of the world. All right. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off, throw aside every encumbrance and necessary weight, and that's it. Okay. I wanted to go on to Acts chapter 1, but quickly, before we go there, uh, yeah, let's first go to Acts chapter 1, and then we'll go to, to the rich young ruler. Okay, so Acts chapter 1, remember that for those who don't understand me, I'm just. Planning what's going to happen out loud. Okay, so Acts chapter 1, verse 7, uh, verse 6. We can start it there. So Now, Jesus is about to be transfigured. He's about to go to heaven with a cloud, okay? So now the traditional idea of Jesus being, ascending to heaven is Jesus getting on top of a cloud, and the cloud goes... There you go, spaceship cloud there he goes okay so that's not described here okay so because there's other scriptures describing the cloud also okay so let's just look at this Acts chapter 1 he says so when they were assembled they asked him Lord is this the time when you will reestablish the kingdom and restore it to Israel he said to them it is not for you to become acquainted with and know what time brings the things and events of time and the definite periods or fixed years or seasons Which the Father has appointed by his own choice and authority. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So now it's not only these persons that are witnesses. Now we become witnesses. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has come upon us. So what happens with, when you have faith in Christ? The Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you receive power, and you will be a witness. Okay, And then you, your testimony can join the testimonies of those heroes of faith who are in the cloud of witnesses. Okay, Does it make sense? Okay, so you shall receive power. And then it says, And when he had said this, even as they were looking at him, he was caught up, and a cloud received and carried him away out of their sight. So that means he went from the seen to the unseen. A cloud appeared. So he was standing there. He was speaking. Here's the cloud shoo, around him. And now he's like swallowed in the cloud and he's moving from the seen into the unseen. It's, the cloud is like a doorway into heaven. Okay, into a different realm. And they start gazing into heaven. Not gazing into the sky. They were gazing into heaven. Right. so then he says, verse 10, While they were gazing intently into heaven, as he went, behold, two men dressed in white robes suddenly stood beside them. It does not say two angels. It says two men. So who was standing with Jesus? Two men, Moses and Elijah. What were they discussing in Luke chapter 9? the way He would exit the earth. So who is standing now there when the cloud appeared at the ascension? Moses and Elijah, two men, appearing as the cloud appeared. Okay, does it make sense? you with me? Okay, so now He says, we said, now they're speaking. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? Not into the sky, into heaven. This same Jesus who was caught away, lifted up from among you into heaven, will return in just the same way in which you saw him go into heaven. Okay, let's just pick this up in the King James. While they were they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him. Go into heaven. Okay. What is up? What does he mean by up? What does he mean by higher? Heaven is your throne, earth is your footstool. Okay. What does he mean by higher? Okay. In Isaiah 55, God says, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Does it mean his thoughts are higher in altitude? So you have to, to find his thoughts, you have to go 2,000 meters up, and then you can find his thoughts. Or does it mean it's in a higher realm, it's of a higher quality, it's, it's of a higher order? Okay? So, he ascended to heaven. Now, if we start talking about the ascended and descended thing, we have to go to Romans chapter 10, and we have to go to uh, Ephesians chapter 4 where he says, uh, what does it say? He who ascended is also he who descended. Okay, so he, uh, Romans 10 says, do not say who shall ascend, that is to bring Christ down, or who shall descend into the earth, that is to bring Christ from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your hearts, on your lips, the word of faith, which we preach. Okay, for if you Believe with your heart and confess that your lips, with your lips that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. Okay, so there's higher thoughts and there's lower thoughts. There's a, there's a higher realm and there's a lower realm. And heaven is the higher realm. So when Jesus was taken up into heaven, he was taken up into a higher realm. It's not higher in altitude. So now maybe he's in Jerusalem going higher up, but you know, in America it's going lower down because it's on the other side of the planet. OK, so he didn't go in onto a cloud. And now the cloud goes into outer space and, you know, Star Trek Enterprise. And there it goes. And millions of light years beyond Pluto. And then he goes past the galaxies and he goes to the end of the universe. And there's planet heaven. No, heaven is right here around us. It's a higher realm. We are now already seated with Christ in heavenly places. Um, he said, you can enter in. And we've looked at it extensively in the past eight, nine weeks. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 says, you can come, um, having your heart sprinkled from a guilty, evil conscience. Hebrews chapter 4 says, you, will, you can come boldly to the throne of grace. Where's the throne? In heaven. So we have access Okay, we have access to the very throne of God. How do how do we get there? We just tune in to channel spirit, and you're there because it is a higher realm that is around you. It's here with you. So wherever you are, God is with you. Wherever you are, you are surrounded by the cloud of witnesses. If you're on Mars, you'll be on the cloud. Of, the cloud of witnesses will be there. It's not about where you are geographically in this realm. The blood of Christ cleanses your conscience and the cross of Christ gives you the door. The cross is the door to enter in to the higher realm which is the spiritual, realm. The glory of God. You can enter into that place of light where there's no darkness. So your heart and your mind can be so cleansed by the blood of Christ that you have the mind of Christ and that you're so united with Him. You in Christ, Christ in you. He thinks a thought and that thought is in your heart. You think a thought but you don't know. Is this thought from me or God? Well, you are one. So you just think. Imagine you are so surrendered and so yielded to Christ that there's no difference between your thoughts and His thoughts. That's the function of the blood of Jesus. It cleanses your conscience from dead works and lifeless observances. It cleanses you from an awareness of sin so that you only have an awareness of Jesus. All right. So back to the cloud of witnesses. Okay. The cloud of witnesses, the church, we have come to the city, we have come to the church of the firstborn, angels in festal gathering. The the church is not only... The people alive on earth. The church is also those who have died in Christ who have been made perfect. Heaven and earth is a combined unit. They have died, but we will be raised. Uh, If you die, you will be raised. Raised up again. So if they are one with Christ and if we are one with Christ, we are all one with Christ. But they are waiting to be resurrected from the dead. Okay. Too much detail. The point that I want to make is Jesus went up to a higher realm. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father after the ascension. And we are seated with him in heavenly places. That means that place where Jesus is is not far. It's not far. It's around you, but it's in a higher realm, a spiritual realm. Okay. So um, for everyone that wants to travel in a spaceship to heaven to streets, walk on streets of gold... John 14 says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. How, do you. how does He go to prepare a place for you? He sprinkled His own blood on the mercy seat. And He opened the way for you to boldly enter. He opened a place where you could come in so that the Father can dwell in you. You in Him, He in you. Right? We, the believers, are the city of God. Okay. Okay. Not going to repeat what we said last week, but back to Hebrews chapter 12. So he says, uh, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us strip off every encumbrance. Let us throw aside every encumbrance, that unnecessary weight, that sin. So there's different things in every in each person's life. Um, there are things a voice in your life that threatened to be louder than the voice of Jesus. Okay? In every person, there's something else. So for one person, money is an issue. For another person, money is not an issue. For for one person, lust is an issue. For another person, lust is not an issue. For one person, pride is an issue. For another person, it's less of an issue. Do you get it? So there's different things. Okay? Different things that's trying to get a hold of you uh, maybe things that you, you're not even aware of, but it's voices that lead you and guide you and, ha- and affect your decision-making that speak louder than the voice of God. Okay, so now he says, I just, I just want to go to this uh, scripture. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 19. So he says, it's about the rich young ruler. And this thing... No, wait. I want to go to the Luke one because it's... Luke just says something nice. Uh, I looked at the different scriptures that say, say the same thing. Luke chapter 18. Okay. Remember this rich young ruler. Okay. Let's start at verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not accept and receive and welcome the kingdom of God like a little child does, shall not in any way enter it at all. So we need to become more like children. Okay. So he says, and a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, you who are essentially perfectly morally good, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, to partake of eternal salvation in the Messiah's kingdom? Jesus said to him, why do you call me morally good? None is essentially perfectly morally good except God only. You know the commandments. So he's speaking to someone under the law in the time of the law. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not witness falsely. Honor your father and your mother. He replied, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard it, he said to him, one thing you you still lack. Sell everything that you have and divide the money among the poor and you will have rich treasure in heaven and come back and follow me become my disciple join my party okay but when he heard this he became distressed and very sorrowful for he was rich exceedingly so Jesus observing him said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom okay all right so he doesn't have a problem with the wealth he has with you having wealth he has a problem with wealth having you okay so is it in Ebe? which scripture was it let me just quickly check Matthew 19 also there's something beautiful that I saw uh, if someone has the scripture one of these accounts Jesus looked at him and he loved him and he replied he looked at him and he loved him and he replied I'm just looking for that just give me a second. Um, all right. We'll find it. I'll, I'll post it on the video later. Okay. So Jesus looked at him, and he loved him, and then he replied. You must. Mark 10. Was it Mark? Mark 10 to anyone. Okay. Let's just read that. I just want thank you. <laughs> okay, Mark 10, 21. Okay, there we have it. Jesus looking upon him, yeah. Jesus looking upon him, loved him, and he said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell what you have and give it to the, to the money to the poor. Okay. It's not because he had money. It's because the money had him. Jesus looked at him. He loved him. And he told him the answer that he needed to hear. Okay. So what is God asking of you? He's asking you to get rid of that thing that so easily beset you. So the thing is, we need to surrender. We need to submit, and we need to yield all things. So back to Hebrews chapter 12. We've only... Kind of done verse one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe by the end of the year we'll get through Hebrews <laughs> 12. So he said, um, Let us strip off, throw aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, and that sin which readily, definitely, cleverly clings to and entangles us, and let us run with patient endurance. Okay. All right. God wants you to surrender that thing that you were not willing to surrender because it's different for every person. So we struggle with a thing and then in our time with Jesus, we surrender. Oh, Lord, we surrender. We surrender. We surrender. God says, hey, I'm after that thing. I need you to surrender that so that my voice is the loudest voice in your heart, okay? Because you do hear his voice. The thing is, other voices come in, and it causes doubt. And now you have to decide which voice you will. Get rid of the other voice. Surrender it to him, that thing that you like the most, okay? And you can be just honest in your heart. And it's not God condemning. Jesus looked at the rich young ruler, and he loved him. And he said, This one thing you lack. Okay? Why did he leave with sadness? Because he was not willing to submit that thing. There was something that had a higher uh, priority in his heart than the kingdom. So God is after all of your heart. So let's strip off everything that cleverly entangles us. Okay? There's things holding us back. Let's leave it. Okay? God is really better than that thing. So you can can leave it with boldness. All right. So verse 2. Looking away from all that will distract you, Jesus. Okay. So he first says, Run your race with steady and active persistence. Okay? Eyes focused on on Jesus. Now, in 1 Corinthians... Ah, oh, there's so many things surrounding this, this thing. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run your race that you may lay hold of the prize and make it yours. Now, every athlete goes into training, conducts himself temperately, And restricts himself in all things. They do it to win a wreath that will soon wither. But we do it to receive a crown of eternal blessedness that cannot wither. Therefore, I do not run uncertainly without definite aim. I do not box like one beating the air and striking without an adversary. But like a boxer, I buffet my body, handle it roughly, discipline it by hardships, and subdue, subdue it. For the fear that after proclaiming to others the gospel and things pertaining to it, I myself should become unfit not stand the test or be unapproved and rejected as counterfeit. Okay, so, which means uh, we need to get to a place and we've spoken about it, uh, well, I've spoken about it on, on Facebook, I put the whole thing up, up on it, but the spirit is a spirit, not, not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That, that word for sound mind is self-control. You, you need to be Ruling and reigning over your whole being. Now, James says, if a man has control of his tongue, he can control his whole body. Okay? So, running your race has a lot to do with faith. Your faith walk with Christ. So that means there's certain influences that we will deny, even if we, we love those influences. There's certain voices that speak to us that we will deny because we honor the voice of the shepherd more than other voices. So there's certain things that we will surrender and lay down. Our will in certain circumstances, we will surrender and lay down, and we will embrace him and his grace and his love and his goodness. Okay, that's running the race. Now, the whole of Christianity, if you, if you read Acts uh, chapter 24, Acts chapter 19, in both those chapters, the, the whole thing of Christianity was called the, the sect of the way. <laughs> Sounds crazy. <laughs> but they called Christianity the way. So Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. So last week we looked at the city, which lay four square, length, breadth, height, depth, the same, okay, the city descending from heaven. And Revelation says in the middle of the Broadway of the city, the Broadway was a street of gold. And in the middle of the Broadway was the river of life, and in the midst of it and on either side was the the tree of life, which is Jesus, and the fruit is the words of Jesus. And the river is the river flowing out of the lamb and out of the throne. Okay? So the way is your life being influenced by what comes out of the lamb and the throne. You are walking in this way in the river, feasting on the words of the tree of life, which is a message that speaks of the lamb that was slain. The lamb that's on the throne. That's the way. That's the street of gold in the city. It's not one day in heaven, streets of gold. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about your whole life. It's consecrated. The way is golden. Okay? Isaiah 35 speaks of it. And there will be a highway, and it will be called the holy way. And there will be no... Uh, lion on it, nor ravenous beast. There will, nothing unclean shall enter it. It's exactly the same that Revelation chapter 22 says. No unclean thing will, will enter there. It says, no one will lose his way. So the way that it's speaking of is a life of being united with Jesus. I am in Him and He is in me. And the way I walk is, I follow His lead. I'm led by the Spirit Romans 8 verse 14, "Those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. So being led by the spirit, automatically you are walking on the way, the highway of holiness, of righteousness, and it is a way of gold in the river of life, so everything will bring life, uh, and you're at the tree of life on either side of the river. You get what I'm saying? It's not speaking in human terms in, in, like I'm going to have a mansion next door to Jesus. Those are songs. So I, I want you to get what he's speaking about. It's a life that you can enter now. It's a life in connection with him. The way is your life. So you'll run your race on the course that is set before you. The course is the street of gold, the Broadway. Where the river of life is. So just stick to the river, just stick to the tree of life. You'll be like a tree planted by the river, you know, someone, um, Jeremiah 17. You'll be like a tree planted by the river. That's you running your race. You running your race is being influenced by the Holy Spirit, following the Holy Spirit, and your steps are ordered of the Lord. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Does it make sense? Okay, so if we are the city set on a hill, the light of the world cannot be hidden. And if in the middle of the city there is a broad way, and Jesus is the way, then it shows more about us restricting ourselves in our conduct to Jesus and His way instead of doing what we want and calling it grace. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. So it is yielding to such an extent that only Jesus is visible in our lives. Okay. That's the way of the kingdom. I have died. I've been crucified with Christ. It is not I that live. Christ lives within me. And the life I live, I live by faith. There's the faith again. In the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So there's the cross again. He gave Himself up for me. Now John chapter 10 says, verse 8, I am the door. So where, what is the door? It's the cross. Because the body of Jesus Christ was ripped apart. And we looked at it a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 20 says, He has opened us a new living way through the separating curtain, which is His flesh, His broken body on the cross. I'm turning the things around, but it says it by the power in the blood of Jesus. So the only way you enter this way is going through the cross. You get covered in the blood and you enter in through His body and you're in. Where are you? In the Holy of Holies. You can enter boldly into that place. Covered in the blood of Jesus. And now you're in the way. You're in the way, yielded, controlled by the Spirit and you can see what's in the Holy of Holies and manifest from the Holy of Holies what's happening here. That's the way. Okay, so uh, that's where Jesus entered in. Now, if we have, if we understand the connection that we have, and through Him we enter, imagine what glory will be released in this world. If He could stand before He even died on the cross, if He could stand and His whole, all His clothes started becoming white as lightning, <laughs> with the glory of God imagine after the blood of Jesus has washed us, what's available for us? The question is, are we willing to strip from every side, throw off that encumbrance, that unnecessary weight? God is not angry with you, but He's inviting you into something that's excluding a few things that we're used to, a few things that we're not uh, willing to lay down. And when we are excluded and, and we walk on this way and only on this way, we will see, we, we limit ourselves to him. And in limiting ourselves to him, we enter a realm of unlimited possibility. Because now it's only his voice. It's only his power. It's only his ability. It's only his, his goodness. Okay? Does it make sense? You look at me like I'm from space or something, okay? All right. Right, so run your race, steady and active persistence. The pointed course that he said before, you, r- you run your race on a course, that course is the way. Verse 2, looking away from all that will distract to Jesus. Jesus is the door. You look to the cross. Okay. Now he starts talking about it. Who is the leader and the source of your faith? So the faith is still the main, main thing here. So, he started your faith, and he's also the finisher. So, Jesus will bring your faith to perfection. Okay. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, and now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Just think of him who endured from sinners such grievous opposition and bitter hostility against himself. Reckon up and consider it all in comparison with your trials, so that you may not grow weary. Exhausted, losing heart and relaxing and fainting in your minds. All right. You have not yet struggled and fought agonizingly against sin, nor have you yet resisted and withstood to the point of pouring out your own blood. So I, I heard someone, I, heard, uh, I saw on a post of uh, Kirby Delanero, a post that he, that he put on, on social media this week. He said, I'm so thankful for my own limitations so that in everything I can turn to God. Just think of that. We are, limited. we are limited only if we want to do it ourselves. We are unlimited when we understand that our life is found in Him. Okay. So He says, You have not yet struggled. Good. <laughs> we can't. But He has. If we are just surrendered to Him, It's it's not necessary for us to struggle. Okay, verse verse 5. Have you completely forgotten the divine word of appeal and encouragement in which you are reasoned with and addressed as sons? My son, do not think lightly or scorn to submit to the correction and discipline of the Lord, nor lose courage and give up and faint when you are reproved and corrected by him. For the Lord corrects and disciplines everyone whom He loves, and He punishes, even scourges, every person whom He accepts and welcomes to His his heart and cherishes. You must submit and endure correction for discipline. God is dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not thus train and correct and discipline? Okay. So we, we looked at this extensively, the whole discipline thing, uh, the second session of our conference in September, and we had some meetings before that, speaking of it, uh, you bring everything into the light. You go into that secret place because of the blood of Jesus. You enter in and you bring everything that's not, not the perfection of Christ. And you bring it into the light before God and the light rebukes the darkness. The light removes the darkness out of your conscience. And what are you left with? Light. Okay? So that's the correction. That's the discipline. God brings His Holy Spirit and He expels everything that's not of God. It's like First John chapter 4 speaks. And he says, perfect love casts out all fear. So then I want to run to love so that the fear can go. Do you get what I'm saying? I want to come out into the light so that all darkness can be exposed and reproved. And because it's exposed and reproved, it's cast out, and I'm only now left with light. I'm washed continuously in the blood when I'm in the light. That's the, that's the whole... Uh, that's the, the center of that message. You can, you can... If you want to watch it again, uh, the second session of the conference in September. Okay, so, so we come out into the light... And the light, the light rebukes darkness and drives it away. Okay, so come out into the light. Bring your things, okay, to God because He can be trusted. John chapter 3, those who hate the light shun away from the light, lest their deeds be exposed and reproved. But those who come out into the light shows their works to be from God, done with God's help. That speaks of the signs and the wonders and the miracles. Okay. So, uh, submit to His correction. That word correction or discipline... is not the scourging that Jesus endured at the cross. The word in the Greek there is to teach or train a child. Children are not typically scourged like Jesus was before he went to the cross. (laughs) Are you just catching the spirit behind that word? So God doesn't want to beat the daylights out of you. He disciplines us and he corrects us by his word. Have you forgotten the divine word of appeal by which God reasons you and addresses you as a son? My son, do not scorn to submit, to yield, to surrender to the correction or the discipline of the Lord. So now I have a certain thought or a certain voice is speaking to me. God says, no, because the scripture says this. Am I going to submit and yield and let that thing go? He says, uh, throw aside every encumbrance, strip off that unnecessary weight Uh, And that's sin. So now now the word comes. Now I have a choice. The word says, this is the way. Another voice comes and says, this is the way. I prefer this. But then God says, hey, this is not what I said. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is in death. So God is not going to give you a sickness to teach you. He's not going to send someone to break into your house. He's not some going to put your hand in a vice. He's not going to do anything. He's going to send His Word. And if you believe the Word, you submit to His correction and His discipline. All right? Now, I want to quickly refer to 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, Paul says, like a master builder, like a skillful architect, I've laid the foundation. He says, let no one else lay a foundation apart from the foundation that's already laid, which is Christ. So be careful how you build upon the foundation, the rock, Christ. If you build with wood and stubble, or you can build with uh, Gold, silver, and precious stone. If you build with wood, iron, stubble, the fire will come and test it. And it will be burned up. So the person building on the wood, iron, stubble is still standing on the foundation. And he says, he will be saved, but like someone passing through fire. But he will be saved. So if we don't stick with the word, but we build with doctrines, or we have thoughts or voices in our lives, that's not of God, when the word comes, it burns up those things. So sometimes the correction seems grievous. It feels, I've lost everything I've built my life upon. Have you ever read something in, a, in, in the Bible that challenges you, like, really on what you believe? Okay, have you ever been at a service and you thought everything works like this, like you were taught in this and that course? And now suddenly, Scripture upon Scripture upon Scripture upon Scripture upon Scripture says otherwise. Are you going to take the Scripture or are you going to take the tradition, what you were taught? Do you get what I'm saying? So now you stand. Now you allow the fire to come and burn away the wood and stubble. The Word comes and it corrects. And now you build with the true thing, the faith that is tested by fire. The the real thing that you're being built up into the structure. But you let the fire burn out the wood, hay, and the stubble, all the flesh. You know, Jeremiah, people are called trees. All flesh is like grass, and the flower of grass falls off. Wood, hay, and stubble, it's flesh. So we're either going to go with ideas of people and get people's results, standing on the foundation, or we can throw out all the ideas that's been keeping us back, all the doctrines that's just human doctrines, human teachings, can throw it out and say, okay, let's take the word. And if we take the word, it burns up those things. Now, for that moment, it feels grievous because, man, I wasted 20 years. I was sitting under this teaching and I've I've really, I've devoted my life to teaching that wasn't true. It feels like I lost 10 years or 20 years. Have you ever felt like that? Okay. God restores. God will restore to you. Imagine you stick to that doctrine for another 10 years and only listen later. Don't waste more time. You have your life now. Grab the truth while you hear it. You know, call upon God while he is near. So when he shows you something that is different from the way that you've, that you've, grew, that you've grow, grew up or know, just take what God says. Prophet Goebbels von used to say this. He says, if you've been driving a 1954 Bujo and someone gives you a brand-new Mercedes, take the Mercedes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay? So, if you've been eating soil all this time and someone brings you an ice cream, take the ice cream. Or a steak, you know, like a steak, like meat, right? This is like, no, for a steak. <laughs> The nice basting on it, you know. Hey, okay, Hebrews chapter twelve. So the correction, it's not God punishing you, smashing you into the ground until you're dust. He sends His word and He corrects you. Right. So He says you must submit to the correction for discipline. And that word, uh, even He punishes and scourges every son. In the in the Greek, it's it's exactly the same word as the one that says discipline. It's the same word. You can check it out in the Strong's Concordance. It's not a different word. Okay. Now, if you are exempt from correction and left without discipline in which all God's children share, then you are illegitimate offspring and not true sons at all. Like what did 1 Corinthians 9 says? I want to discipline myself so that I can be found to be true and not to be found a counterfeit. Okay, so in, in the King James, he, s- he says it a bit stronger. Furthermore, uh, he says, uh, if you are without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Okay, so I, <laughs> I want to I uh, lift out that word in the King James so that we can just, just get the full picture. Okay, now if you are exempt from correction, then you are not true sons. Verse 9, moreover, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we yielded to to them and respected them for training us shall we not much more cheerfully submit to the father of spirits and so truly live there's the word submit the yielding, the surrendering yield that thing yield that thought yield that idea yield it, give it up take the truth okay and so truly live. All right. Now, if you're... Okay, we got that. We've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and yielded to them and respected to them for training us. Shall we not much more cheerfully submit to Father of Spirits and so truly live? For our earthly fathers disciplined us only for a short period of time and chastised us as seemed proper and good to them. But He disciplines us... But He, God, disciplines us for our certain good that we may become sharers of His own holiness. Okay. I just want to throw one scripture in here. Second uh, Peter chapter 1. So he says, verse 2, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the full personal knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. For His divine power has bestowed upon us all things that are requisite and suited to life and godliness, through the full personal knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and virtue. By means of these, He has bestowed on us precious and exceeding great promises, so that through them you may escape by flight from the moral decay, the rottenness and corruption that is in the world because of covetousness, lust and greed, and become sharers, partakers of the divine nature. For this reason adding your diligence to the divine promises employ every effort in exercising your faith to develop virtue excellence resolution christian energy and in exercising virtue develop knowledge intelligence and in exercising knowledge develop self control and in exercising self control develop steadfastness patience endurance for that race okay and in exercising steadfastness develop godliness And in exercising godliness, develop brotherly affection. And in exercising brotherly affection, develop Christian love. For these qualities are yours and increasingly abound in you. They will keep you from being idle and unfruitful unto the full personal knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is blind, spiritually short-sighted, seeing only what is near to him, and has become oblivious to the fact that he was cleansed from his old sins. All right. So all these things help us remember we have been made holy. We have been washed in the blood of Jesus. He wants us to become sharers of His holiness, sharers of the divine nature. He has given us all things suited or required to life and godliness. Okay, Godliness is not something you achieve by your own willpower and your own discipline. It can't happen. Godliness is the manifestation of the gospel in your life. Godliness is you believing the gospel and you responding to the gospel and listening to the voice of Jesus and obeying it. And the fruit of that is the very presence and the power of Jesus radiating from your own life. Does it make sense? Okay. If then I have been crucified with Christ then maybe the voice telling me to do what I want is not the, not the right voice. Maybe that voice should be silenced a little bit. And let us be tuned into the voice of the Good Shepherd that, that's telling us something different for our certain good, disciplining us, fine-tuning us, go left, go there, don't do that, do that. Okay? He's always faithful to tell you when, you, when, when you're taking a wrong step. Okay? All right. So, Hebrews chapter, chapter 12. We're almost where we, where we started reading last week, so we're not going <laughs> to do the, whole, the rest of the chapter, okay? <laughs> For those who actually just want to do something in December, we're not going to take the whole month on this. All right. Yeah, it is nice. I, I'm enjoying myself right now, okay? Where were we with the discipline? For the time being, no discipline brings joy, verse 11, but seems grievous and painful. We spoke about that, the whole thing of you felt that you lost time, all kinds of things. But afterward, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by by it. A harvest of fruit which consists in righteousness in conformity to God's will and purpose, thought and action, resulting in right living and right standing with God. Verse 12. So then, brace up, reinvigorate, and set right your slackened and weakened and drooping hands and strengthen your feeble and palsied and tottering knees. That same scripture is quoted in Isaiah 35 that speaks of the holy way, the highway of of God, the, the, the way of righteousness. Isaiah 35. Okay. Verse 13. And cut through... And make firm and plain and smooth straight paths for your feet. Yes, make them safe and upright. So don't be your own distraction. Don't be your own hurdle. Don't put things in your own life that you know is going to make you stumble. Okay? Make straight paths for yourselves. Okay? So that the lame and halting limbs may not be put out of joint, but rather may be cured. Strive to live in peace with everybody and pursue that consecration and holiness without which no one will ever see the Lord. Okay, so we need the manifestation of the stuff that we've, that we've learned in Hebrews chapter 10. We've been made holy. Okay, so strive for the manifestation of this peace, of this consecration, of this holiness. Okay, verse 15. Exercise foresight and be on the watch to look after one another to see that no one falls back from and fails to secure God's grace in order that no root of resentment, rancor, bitterness, or hatred shoots forth and causes trouble and bitter torment, and many become contaminated and defiled by it. Okay, so one word that we you, you can put in there that can, you know, kind of put all, take all those words together that's very relevant in the time that we live in is offense. <laughs> because the buzzword these days to get what you want is you offend me, or I am offended. Okay, so if you're offended, the Bible says, hey, get out of the offense. Um, if, if you take offense, you're not... Uh, it feels nice to say to people, oh, I, I'm offended, and you now must change. You're actually just advertising that, uh, that you have no control over your emotions. You're just advertising that, that you're immature. In, in the spirit uh, to take offense is the opposite of what God called us to do okay it's the opposite of self-control it's the opposite of love okay it's to insist on your own right and not to yield to God alright so let's look over one another so that this offense doesn't spread it spreads so easily okay Okay, where are we are contaminated Verse sixteen that no one may become guilty of sexual vice or become a profane, godless, sacrilegious person as Esau did, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you understand that later on when he wanted to regain when he wanted to regain the title to his inheritance of the blessing, he was rejected and disqualified, for he could find no opportunity to repair by repentance what he had done, no chance to recall the choice he had made, although he sought it carefully with bitter tears. Okay, that doesn't mean that uh, if you've done something wrong, there won't be a chance for you to repent. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, don't always insist on your own rights, bargaining in the back of your mind that you can repent later and so that you can have your cake and eat it, okay? Um, you, you don't know exactly what's going to happen in the next 10 seconds. So... Don't, be in a, don't make any opportunity for yourself to be in a place where you, when you can't repent. Do, do you get what I'm saying? So, uh, for people reasoning like this, I'm not going to give my life to Jesus now. I have m- a lot of time to make up my mind. So, maybe one day, just before I die, I'll do it. Because I think it's too difficult to live this Christian life. People say things like that. You don't know what's happening tomorrow, okay? So it's not like, uh, you know, because it, it walks parallel. You don't know exactly how long this natural life is, so buy out the time while you're in it. So it's not taking it a step through the end of your life. That's, uh, that's not the, the issue. It's taking a step to the side into eternity while you're alive. And if your life should end, you have it okay, don't delay, don't, don't always reason about these things, uh, take the word now, while you have it, while you hear it, embrace it, okay, now it starts speaking about the city, so I'm just going to read the rest of the chapter, and then, then we end, okay, so we, we um, just so you can make sense for someone who, hearing the thing later, but if you want to hear more about the cities in the different mountains, get last week's message, okay, for you have not come as did the Israelites to, to, in, in the wilderness to a material mountain that can be touched, a mountain that is ablaze with fire, and to gloom and darkness and a raging storm. And to the blast of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the listeners beg that nothing more be said to them. Okay, so that's when the law came on the mountain. Okay, for they could not bear the command that was given if even a wild animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned to death. In fact, so awful and terrifying was this phenomenal sight that Moses said, I'm terrified. But rather, you have come to Mount Zion, even the city of the living God. So the city that the the heroes of Faith was looking for. They were looking for a city whose builder and foundation was God. Rather, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless multitudes of angels in festal gatherings. So we're not going to come to the city. You have come to the city. Verse 23. And to the church, the assembly of the firstborn, who are registered as citizens in heaven, and to the God who is judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous, the redeemed in heaven, those in the cloud of witnesses, who have been made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator, the go-between, the agent of a new covenant or the new testament—the word the diatheke—coming through a tomb, the testament, last will and testament, and the sprinkled blood, which speaks of mercy, a better and nobler and more gracious message than the blood of Abel, which cried out for vengeance. So you have come to the blood, the sprinkled blood, which speaks of mercy. Verse 25. See to it that you do not reject Him or refuse to listen to and heed Him who is speaking to you now. Remember Esau. For if the Israelites did not escape when they refused to listen and heed Him who warned and divinely instructed them here on earth, revealing their heavenly warnings, uh, his will. How much less shall we escape if we reject and turn our backs on Him who cautions and admonishes us from heaven. Then at Mount Sinai, His voice shook the earth, but now He has given a promise. So remember Second Peter 1, through these promises, you can escape the corruption that is in the world through lust, and you can partake of the divine nature. Okay, so He says, Yet once more, I will shake and make tremble not only the earth, but also the starry heavens. Now this expression, okay, now remember the shaking, removing of things. Remember 1 Corinthians 3, the foundation, the wood and stubble, and the gold, silver, and precious stones. And the wood and stubble is burned up, and that which remains is the gold, silver, and precious stones. It's the same, it's the same thing described with a different picture. Okay. Uh, how much less shall we escape if we reject I or it. Verse 26. Verse 27. Now this expression, yet once more, indicates the final removal and transformation of all that can be shaken. That is, of that which has been created in order that what cannot be shaken may remain and continue. Remember last week, the first thing I wrote there on the board, it cannot be be shaken cannot be moved right verse 28 let us therefore receiving a kingdom that is firm and stable and cannot be shaken offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship with modesty and pious care and godly fear and all for our God is indeed a consuming fire all right The kingdom is something we receive. It's not something we build. The kingdom is something you receive. It's not something we build. God will build, Jesus will build his church on this rock. As we receive it, he builds it. But we receive it. It's not our hands that make it. It's His Word that establishes it. The kingdom is righteousness, His work. Peace, it's His peace. And joy in the Holy Ghost. Right? It's not something that your efforts can make. This righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit can not be shaken. Oh, that guy has stolen my joy. Oh my goodness. It's time to get some kingdom joy. That guy has taken my, he's just disturbed my peace. Can your peace, can the peace of the kingdom be disturbed? Okay. Doesn't the scripture say, and great shall be the peace of the children. Okay. We need to stop reacting to the scene. And be rooted and built on the foundation of the rock of Christ, which cannot be moved. Christ's peace cannot be shaken. Christ's joy cannot be shaken. Christ's righteousness cannot be shaken. If you messed up, it does not touch Christ's righteousness. Your righteousness, filthy rags. Even the best thing you've ever done, God freely forgives you. Christ's righteousness, holy, blameless, perfect, spotless, and it cannot be touched by you. And he gives you his righteousness as a robe, as a free gift. It cannot be shaken. All right. Hebrews chapter 12. Okay, so next week we'll just do 30. I wanted to do 30, but it's just not going to happen today. <laughs> yeah, I wish for thinking. Yeah. Okay, I enjoyed myself a little bit too much, so. All right. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you for your glory. We thank you for everything that you reveal to us. Lord, we pray that we walk in the manifestation of everything that you have. We open our hearts. We welcome your correction. Lord, we want to yield everything that is not of you. And we want to be surrendered to you and follow the Son. Follow Jesus. Lord, I pray that you show yourself to each of us. I pray that we stand and be established in the kingdom of God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will walk in the power of it. In Jesus' name. Let us us be partakers of your holiness, partakers of the divine nature. In Jesus' name. All right. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, um, Communion. communion. We have communion. Okay. So, see this and remember the body of Jesus broken on the cross and partake of it and understand that this is the door into the Holy of Holies this is the entrance into the way of the city the way which is Jesus Christ the manifestation of the glory life which is in Christ Jesus he was wounded for our transgressions bruised for our iniquities his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins This is your forgiveness. You don't need to sort out your life to partake. This sorts you out. Blood of Christ cleanses your conscience. Drink this by faith. This is his blood. His body broken. Eat this by faith. This is his body. I know it's a cracker. You know, it comes from checkers. But by faith, this is not a cracker. This is his body broken for you. And by faith, this is his blood poured out for you. So partake of the communion table um, and just think on him who endured from sinners such grievous harm and bitter hostility. Okay, so the table is open for you. You're welcome to go and partake. Then uh, if anyone wants prayer afterwards, you're welcome. I'll I'll be here to pray for anyone who wants ministry. Amen. Okay, so you watching, thank you for, for watching. Thank you for uh partaking of this with us. I want you to to be part of this communion with us. Just take whatever you have there with you, whether it's bread or cake or whatever you got, or water or juice or wine, whatever you have. By faith, it's the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And take communion with us. Uh, We would love to hear from you. Tell us where you are from. Uh, Please like and share, but but tell us, comment. We want to know where you're from. You know, if you're from a different country and you're watching this, please let us know. We'd like to know, and if you have any prayer requests or testimonies, please comment below or send us a, a message, a private message. We would love to hear from you. Whoa.